weirdest dream I've ever had. Right, okay, picture um, me running through, I don't know, I think it was a thick forest, and I was definitely being chased by something. I didn't know what it was, but I was running away, and I found myself in this church building where I had made made my way to the staircase, and I was going up and up and up this spiral staircase, and I got to the top, and I was still being chased by something, and then suddenly I saw this chimney from the top of this church spire that I jumped down and trying to get away. And as I jumped down this chimney, it started to become really colourful and really bright. And then there was sweets that I was just catching on the way down. And as I flew out the bottom of the chimney, I ended up in this magical garden with like glitter everywhere. There was animals, there was like a bird bath in the middle where it was like beautiful and pristine. And it was lovely. Thank you so much, uh, Amber. Your dream, I think, might just be my favorite of all of them um, because it was full of beauty and sweets and wonderful exotic things, much like you, uh, Amber. So we are, as uh, Matt has said, we are finishing off our series on Joseph. You know Joseph? He was handsome, he was smart, he was a walking work of art, and he loved his coat of many colors. So you know Joseph. And Joseph is one of the incredible characters in Scripture. In the book of Genesis, his story takes up one full quarter of that book, one of the most important books in the Bible, the Bible book that gives us God's origin story of how he works with human beings and how he relates to people. And we see in Joseph, we see someone that God gives a dream to. He goes through unimaginable suffering, challenge, and difficulty. And then he comes into the fulfillment of God's dream for him, which is so much greater than he could have ever imagined. And he has unimaginable wealth, position, power, authority, and influence. It's an incredible story. But it's a story that says to us that God has dreams for you. And when we say dreams, we're not talking necessarily about uh, the kind of weird dreams uh, that Amber and the others have shared with us over these last few weeks. We're talking about the dream as a picture of a perfect future. We talk about dreams as an aspiration that you have, a desire that you have, but not only the dreams that we have, but the dreams that God has for us. You need to know, if you've not heard any of this before, you need to know that God has a dream for you. You're not insignificant. You're not just there to pad out the numbers. Your life, your destiny is significant, and God has chosen you. And with Joseph, this dream, we learn two things. First of all, the dream is just for you. Everyone say, just for you. In other words, it was custom built towards his gifts, abilities, circumstances, but bigger than you. It was bigger. The dream that God gave to Joseph that one day your brothers will bow down to you. Actually, that was a dream that God had given to his father Jacob before him. And it was part of a bigger dream that God had given to Isaac and then Abram. And in fact, a bigger dream of God's dream for humanity. Because ultimately, God is the dreamer. And God dreams of a world which is reconciled to him. Human beings, men, women, children, brought back into relationship with him and relationship with one another and that's the dream and we are part of that bigger dream God custom fits a dream for you how you can be part of that but it's part of something so much greater and we found out from the the second uh, 
part of the series, that your dream will only go as far as your character can take it. God's dreams for you are not just about gift and opportunity. They are all about the kind of character, the kind of person that you are. And so with Joseph, he has these tests of character. He's tempted. He's tried. And he survives. He goes through and passes the test that he has. And in so doing, it strengthens his character. When we go through testing and trial and difficulty, it actually tests and refines. It shows up what we have, but it also solidifies God's work in our lives. And then because dreams are all about that picture of a perfect future, because they are in the future, that means that we're going to go through times when they're not yet fulfilled, where we may know what they are, we may feel a sense of importance and significance and meaning and where I'm going and destiny, and yet it's not yet fulfilled, those times of waiting. We saw in the life of Joseph in in part three that God is working in the waiting. God is always working in the waiting and nothing is ever wasted. Our job is just to trust in God and minister to people. Everyone say, trust in God, minister to people. You trust in God and you minister to people. Very often as people of faith, we find it easy to minister to God to worship, to go to church, to have a devotion, minister to God. Then we tend to trust in people. You trust that your boss can advance your career. You trust that your friends can help you. You trust in your parents, whether that's the bank of mum and dad or just the emotional support that they give. We trust in people to fulfill what we want for our lives. And yet the Bible says actually the way to do that is actually to trust in God. That God ultimately is the one that's going to bring your dream to fruition. And in the meantime, we minister to other people. And now we get to the point, this final part, where we look at Joseph's dreams actually being fulfilled. And this is, this is the uh, excitement and this is the encouragement that actually Joseph gives us a picture of someone's dreams actually being fulfilled. That God, the hope, the heart that he's put within you, it will receive its fulfillment one day. So how does that happen? We heard that Joseph is there in prison and uh, he is unjustly imprisoned. So he's come to Egypt as, his, as a slave. He's had 12 years as a slave. And then he's been imprisoned. So he's got the Shawshank redemption. And then the Bible says this. When two full years had passed, after Joseph has had his encounter with the cupbearer, Pharaoh had a dream. And what you need to know that the Bible says that even though it was this tortuous two whole years, when Joseph had kind of put his trust in someone else, he says to the cupbearer, please speak to Pharaoh. You're going to have his ear. You're going to be right there back in a position of influence. Just put in a word for me. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, please. I'm unjustly imprisoned. And yet you can't put ultimate trust in people. And those two years pass And yet there's hope in that because it's as if scripture says, yes, there was two years, but they passed. Listen, for those that are feeling so stretched and stressed, wrung out in this time of suffering, challenge, lockdown, we're all feeling it. We're all feeling the pressure, the stress. You just need to know it will pass. 
And whether that is the lockdown that we're experiencing or whether it is other issues in your life, a challenge, suffering that you're going, the Bible says it will pass. There will come a time. And so the whole focus shifts into the core of Pharaoh. It says Pharaoh had a dream. And he has a dream and it is incredibly vivid and he he knows that God, the God of the universe, has spoken to him. He has this dream of these fat, prosperous Egyptian cows coming out of the Nile and grazing away happily. And then this kind of nightmarish zombie cows, these zombie cattle, they come out of the, the, uh, the Nile, gaunt, ugly, fearsome, and they consume these healthy cows. And then another similar dream about ears of corn. And he doesn't know what it means. And he calls in his advisors and they don't know what it means. And, and there's just this panic in the court because they feel that some divine message is being given, but they're not receiving it. And then, suddenly, the cupbearer remembers. It says this, Then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants. <laughs> Funny story. And he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dreams. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position. Uh, The other man was impaled. Like I said, funny story. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. No one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And what Joseph has here, it's a moment of truth. Everyone say moment of truth. Someone write it in the comments, everyone else thumbs it, emoji it, care, react. It's a moment of truth. He has this moment of truth. A moment of truth is the thing that you go through before you get your dream fulfilled. More often than not, before you see the fulfillment of the things that God has given you to do, there will be a reckoning. There will be a time. There will be a moment. There will be an opportunity for you to stand and to deliver, for you to speak, for you to take the initiative. For all of us, there are moments, moments of truth that come every now and again in our lives. Now, it may be that you haven't had a particular moment of truth in your life. Or it may be that you can say, actually, I've had a few times when there's been moments of truth. Sam, please stop wandering around. Uh, Sam has got this camera, and he's going underneath the cameras all the time, doing the little limbo. And uh, I'm trying not to laugh at him, but he's, he's testing me. <laughs> he's testing me. It's a moment of truth. You should see what it's like in the studio. It's just crazy. Stop doing that. <laughs> Stay put. Um, where were we? We were in a moment of truth. A moment of truth. It's that time when you have to stand up. When someone says, okay, show me what you got. It's when you get an opportunity. It's when something is put in front of you. 
It's when you have the chance to do something of significance, to grab a hold of the, uh, the bull by both horns, to, to grasp the nettle. When something comes along, when someone gives you an opportunity, when something opens up for you, maybe someone is put out of the picture and it falls down to you and they say, okay, how about you? What can you do? Or it may be something to do with uh, finding something in life that you've been desperate for and you suddenly get that moment. One of the big moments in my life, I was a young man, there was a girl. This girl had just grabbed a hold of my heart and, and she was just amazing. I couldn't get her out of my mind. But she rejected me, if you can believe that. She rejected me and then for weeks she would not see me. And I needed a moment. I found out after a couple of months of not seeing her and being rejected over and over and over again. I found out that she was staying with her grandmother. found out where the grandmother lived. I drove my car out of town to the grandmother's house, knocked on the door, sat with her in her grandmother's kitchen. I said, listen, you need to know this is how I feel about you. My feelings are true. My heart is steadfast. It was a moment, it was a moment to grab a hold of future and destiny. I'm happy to say we've been married now for over 26 years and I think that deserves a round of applause. It's not, not really the same when it's just you and the band, but hey, thank you guys, I appreciate it. But there are moments, there are moments, and in that moment, what is in you comes out. And Joseph is having a moment after 13 years incarcerated in slavery. He's now in front of the greatest man in the country. In fact, the greatest ruler on the planet. Egypt is the solitary superpower. And Pharaoh has the ability to change his life forever. And in this moment, this moment of truth, everything comes together for Joseph. And he remembers that he has had his character tested. And he remembers that God has been with him, even in the prison cell. And he remembers that you can't put your trust in human beings, no matter how powerful they seem. And he remembers that God is good and he can speak to him and reveal things to him. And so Joseph, everything comes together in that moment. And he says this, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, drops the mic and says, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Sorry to waste your time. Sorry to disappoint you. I know that you're this great guy. I know that you're incredibly powerful. But you just need to know, I can't do this thing. I have been misrepresented. You just take me back to my cell i got some stuff to do. i got all shaved, but I'm sorry. Probably a wasted trip. I can't do this. It's not that he looks to Pharaoh to fulfill his dream. He knows that it's all about God. And then after that mic drop moment, he takes it even further. He says this, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Everyone in the court is going, no, no, no. Bad move. Wrong thing to say. Because Pharaoh sees himself as divine. Pharaoh is worshipped as a god. He is the god king. He is the god prince of Egypt. And while Joseph stands in front of him, 
He says, listen, I've learned over the years, through hardship, through suffering, through trial, that I'll minister to people and I'll care for people. I'll do a good job for anybody that gives me the responsibility. But I ultimately know who is God and who is not. And I ultimately know who has my life in their hands. I'm not looking for anybody. I'm not intimidated by anybody. I'm not enthralled to anybody. I simply know that God is the one. And listen, Pharaoh, I know that people think you're a God, but I know the true God. And if you want answers, you can ask him, and he'll give you the answers. And it's absolutely incredible. And they've never seen anybody act like this. They've never seen anybody so strong, so internally full of integrity Because over the years of waiting, God has been working. And in the hard times, and in the waiting times, and in the challenge, and when his character was tested, and when he's been through the crucible of suffering, and he's seen God come through, and he's seen God even in the dungeon, he was with him. He knows that he's got nothing to fear of human beings. And he has this moment, a moment of truth. And Pharaoh says... Man, you're quite something. There's something about you. It's the same thing that happens with all the other people. When they see Joseph, they see that God is with him. He tells him his dream. Joseph interprets the dream. He says, there's going to be seven years of prosperity where the crops will be bountiful. But it's going to be followed by seven years of abject famine. There will be no reaping and there will be no uh, harvest coming in. And then Joseph takes it even further. No one's asked him for this. No one has uh, given him permission. But he's got such a confidence in God because he trusts in God. And he's learned those lessons through the hard years of prison and the hard years of Potiphar's household. And he says, listen, this is what you need to do. And he gives them a game plan. And at the end of it, they they say this. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain round his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. What you get here is you get a moment of truth that leads to a fulfillment of a dream that is so far beyond anything that you could have anticipated. That God's dreams are so much greater. And listen, you need to hear this. There are people right now, and I I, I understand, I, I get it. I know that it's hard, and I know that you're struggling. I know it feels like there's never going to be a, a resolution. I know that it feels like you're never going to attain to the things that are in your heart, the kind of intuitive feeling that you have that you are made for something more. But I want you to know that God can fulfill his dreams for you. 
in ways that far exceed and go over your expectation. And Pharaoh, he gets his advisors together and they, they, they do their due diligence. And this is where actually having 13 years of your life, either in the household or in the dungeon of Pharaoh's chief security officer, the, the head of the secret police, the head of the, the captain of the, the guard, means that people have seen every part of his life. They've been able to see it. And they tell the story. This guy, he came, he was 17 years old, the bottom of the pile. And he was so exceptional that he just made his way up and up and up and up. Because I'm telling you, God is with him. And even when we put him in prison and there was a little bit of controversy over that, he may have kind of been slightly innocent. And yet in prison, he just did remarkable things. Nothing was wasted. Not a single moment of Joseph's experience was wasted. And Pharaoh gives him a signet ring from his own finger. And then he puts robes on him. And Joseph, who had his first robe ripped from his back and splattered in blood, faked his death. And then his second robe, he voluntarily left it in the hands of a woman who was sexually uh, harassing him. Just so that he wouldn't have any way of falling into that trap of temptation. Now he finally has a brand new robe, royalty again. And uh, he gets this new job. He's in charge of all of Egypt. One of the perks of the job, it, it comes with a house. It comes with great wealth. It comes with a wife. Uh, he gets the wife who's the daughter of the high priest. He gets a brand new name. His name is Zaphonath Panea. Zaphonath Panea. Now, Egyptologists and historians and scholars, they're not quite sure exactly what that name means. But our best guess is that the name that the Egyptians give him, Zephanath Panea, is literally meaning savior of life. Savior of life. Or it may be savior of the ages. Joseph is so much a picture of Jesus Christ. Both good shepherds of Israel. Both tempted and yet without sin. Both unjustly, unfairly accused and condemned. Both cast down into darkness and both raised up supernaturally to a place of great power and authority. And both bringing salvation to the world. Joseph will literally, because of his plan, because of his gifts... He will literally save the whole Near Eastern world from starvation, from a global catastrophe. And he has this as a fulfillment of God's dream. He goes through this moment of truth. But there's more to a moment than simply moments of truth. You have moment of truth, but you also have a moment of grace. There's moments of truth, but there's also moments of grace. And if the story of Joseph had ended right there with power and authority and saving the world and delivering everyone, it would be an amazing story, but it doesn't end there. Because God cares about our hearts. He cares about our wholeness. He cares about the wounds that have been inflicted on us by others. He cares about reconciliation. He cares about families. He cares about us being put together where we have been ripped apart. And so, again, we now move back to those brothers who had 
betrayed him and sold him into slavery. Seven years of plenty goes past. Two years of famine. And now the famine is so severe that it's even hit the Israelites in the land of Canaan. And they hear that there's grain in Egypt and they go to find grain, to buy grain so they will not die. The Bible says this. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. That's the funny thing about Joseph's dreams. It's not like he was going through the whole of his life thinking, ah, my dream, my dream, my dream, my dream. It was only in retrospect. It was only as he saw his brothers and they're bowed down before him. He says, hang on a minute. When I was a kid, I had these dreams. This is my dream fulfilled. God's dream wasn't simply about power and role and responsibility and authority. His dream was about reconciliation and about family and about wholeness and about restoration. But the brothers don't recognize him because, you know, the whole cobra headdress, guy liner, he walks like an Egyptian, he talks like an Egyptian. They just, they just don't recognize him. They, they knew a 17-year-old kid who was scared out of his brain, and now they see this 40-year-old Egyptian ruler who is treated with awe and reverence by everybody around him. And Joseph, again, it, it goes through many chapters. I really encourage you to read the book of Genesis. Read it through. This is from about chapter 42 right through to the end, chapter 50. But essentially what he does is he puts them through this kind of, well, it's, it's a test of character. He puts his brothers through a test of character. They don't recognize him. And so he just wants to find out where they're at and where their hearts are at. When they put him into slavery, they were vengeful, immoral, violent men. And so he sets up a kind of scenario for them. He finds out that these brothers weren't really his full brothers. They were just half-brothers. They had different mothers. But he finds out that he has a little baby brother, possibly born when he was in Egypt. He's been out for 22 years, but now they tell him there's a boy back at home, the youngest one. And he wants to know, what will you do to protect the life of the youngest child of your father who is the favorite before all of you. And so that's why you get the thing that David's having talked about with the cup in the grain sack. And uh, he basically puts them in a situation where he sends them back to fetch the youngest son. He keeps Simeon as collateral. Uh, they don't want to go. Uh, his father says, look, you know, let's not go back. They say, well, what about Simeon? And um, Jacob says, well, you know, these things happen. Uh, and because he loves Benjamin, he doesn't want to see Benjamin go. But eventually they have to come back and then he frames Benjamin, puts a sack, uh, puts a cup in his sack. And then what are you going to do? He says, right, Benjamin is going to be my slave. He's going to be a slave in Egypt. What will you do? And then the most moving thing, it is Judah, his big brother Judah. Judah was the one who said, 
Let's sell our brother into slavery. Judah was the ringleader that was responsible for him being made a slave. And Judah stands up and says, listen, don't take our little brother. Take me instead. Let me be a slave. And instead of Judah selling his brother into slavery to save himself, he puts himself offered for a slave to save his little brother. And then the Bible says this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So you get this time where Joseph is testing his brothers. He sees what's in them. He's overcome with emotion. They're reconciled. He brings them back. He lavishes uh, grain and provision upon them. And then finally, the whole end of uh, Genesis, it says this. Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Listen. Genesis is the origin story for God's dealing with human beings. And if Joseph had taken his brothers and done what was by right his proper ability to do, if he had cast them into prison, you'd say this is a moment of karma. They got what they deserved. If he had just let them go and not persecuted them and prosecuted them, not imprisoned them, you'd say that's a moment of mercy. But Joseph blesses them. He gives them what they don't deserve. And that is a moment of grace. And God, as he's writing this first book of the Bible, he's saying, this is how I am. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You don't get what you deserve. You get forgiveness. And the greatest climax of the story of Genesis is a story of reconciliation, of grace, of forgiveness, and of salvation. And God says, this is what I want to do for you. We're going to wrap things up in just a minute, but I want really quickly just to give you just a little bit of a steer on forgiveness. Because ultimately, Joseph forgives his brothers. But there's three Factors just to quickly consider. In a couple of months, we're going to do another series on relationships, and maybe we'll dig into this a little bit more. But for now, just really quickly go through this. First of all, he takes time. Everyone say time. So in the story, he actually doesn't put himself under pressure to forgive his brothers this hurt immediately. He takes his time. In fact, he takes weeks with this kind of charade that he puts them through because he knows that he needs time to process this. This abandonment, this betrayal, this hurt, it goes deep. He gives himself time. Secondly, trust. Say trust. He wants to know, can I trust my brothers? Are they safe? Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you're restored in your relationship with them. You may have been abused by someone. You may have been so badly betrayed by someone. It's not safe for you to go back into relationship with them. The betrayal may run so deep. The hurt may be so, it may be so damaging that actually they're not good. 
And forgiveness doesn't mean, oh, we're all okay, we can be best friends again. It just means I am cutting the toxic ties that bind me to you. I'm releasing you uh, from the debt that you owe me. But he finds out, he takes the time, can I trust these people? And by putting them through this test, he actually sees, actually, they have changed. They have genuinely changed. We can be fully, totally, and utterly reconciled. But then finally, truth. He speaks the truth about them. He says, you intended to harm me. Let's not gloss over that. What you did was evil. And I'm not excusing that. I'm not rubbing it away. I'm not sweeping it under the carpet. It was evil. But there's a greater truth at play. And that truth is this. That even though you meant to hurt me, you meant to harm me, God meant it for good. God's plan for my life is so great that human beings can't derail that plan. God's plan for my life is so wonderful, so majestic, that neither suffering, nor hurt, nor pain, nor differences or challenges can separate me from God's love and his ability to fulfill his plans in my life. And ultimately, the story of Genesis is this. God's plans for your life will be fulfilled. God's dreams for your life will be fulfilled. I feel like God wants you to know that there's going to come a time of fulfillment for you. There's going to come a time when the things in your heart, the things that you've dreamed of, the things that you feel that God has given you, they're going to come good. I feel like it's true for us as a church. I feel like we as a church, we actually, we like a lot of the church in Bristol, we've been having a moment. And we're coming out of this moment and we're going to see God's dreams for us as a church community fulfilled in ways we had never dreamt possible. Before the pandemic, in four years, we baptized uh, around about 50 people just over. But I tell you, there's going to come a time where we'll do that in one year and think nothing of it. There's going to come a time when we're going to see such things in this church, in our city, an impact uh, a serving of the most marginalized and needy in our city that God has called us for such a time as this and I can see a change coming I can see God's kingdom coming because he's put his dreams upon us they're just for us they're individually uniquely suited for us and they're so much bigger than us they're so much bigger than we dream of So we're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I want you to pray individually. For some of you, you've just started to lose that commitment and that trust in God. I'm going to call you to come back. Maybe for the first time, you've never committed your life to Jesus. Maybe you now are saying to God, listen, I want to give my life to you. I want to experience you in my life for myself. But we're going to pray. Here's the big idea before we pray, just so that we've got that nailed down. Before God's dreams for you are completely fulfilled, you may have to face moments of truth as well as moments of grace. Just make sure you're ready. And what we do right now and what we do in these moments of challenge and waiting, what we do in these moments of unfulfilled dreams is propelling us forward to God's fulfilled dream for us. So let's pray. 
Dear God, I thank you. I thank you that you're a God who dreams, dreams of wonder and significance for your children. Lord, I thank you that you've made dreams for us and you've made us for dreams that are in your heart. Lord, I thank you for what we learn of Joseph. I thank you that one day we will get to see Joseph and speak with him. We'll be able to say, Joseph, your story helped us so much in lockdown in the global pandemic of the 2020s. Lord, I thank you that you have great plans for us individually, but you also have great plans for us corporately. And I pray, dear God, that every single one of us right now would be able to commit ourselves fully to you, trust in you fully, minister to others, and see your kingdom come in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.